1: Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. When we create something, we're also creating a legacy. We're leaving behind something for future generations to find, and if there's any justice in the world, our name will still be attached to it when they do. No one remembers Hans Lippershey. Hans was a Dutchman who built the first telescope in 1608. He even tried to patent it, but his application was denied. Decades later, Galileo, with his eyes turned toward the stars, would use Lippershey's design to build his own, and his name would become synonymous with the invention. And what about Antonio Meucci? In 1860, Antonio built the first working telephone, and just like Lippershey, he tried to secure a patent for his invention. He succeeded, but when it came time to renew it, he couldn't afford the $10 renewal fee and lost his patent. Two years later, in 1876, an up-and-comer named Alexander Graham Bell filed a patent for his own telephone. As you might imagine, Meucci was livid. He contacted a lab at Western Union where he'd sent the original plans for his telephone, which would serve as the proof he'd used to sue Bell for appropriating his work. But there was just one problem. The plans were gone. No one knows for sure what happened to them, but Bell might have had a part to play in that. After all, he worked in the very same lab at the time. And then there's Gottlieb Richard Traub. The German-American was a tinkerer from Chicago, and in 1907, he penned a letter to Motorcycle Illustrated magazine. In it, he mentioned a four-horsepower motorcycle that he built from scratch, and even included a photo of himself beside it. He'd spent a year working on it, between 7 p.m. and 11 p.m., six nights a week. It boasted a -a three-and-a-half-gallon gas tank, 55-inch wheelbase, and, in his words, perfect grip control. It was also way ahead of its time compared to similar bikes coming from the larger manufacturers. No bicycle had yet adopted the twin-brake single-cam system that Traub used, and at the time, nothing else on the market could keep up with its top speed of 85 miles an hour. And it was road-tested, too. By the time he'd written that letter to the magazine, Traub had already ridden his bike for over 1,500 miles without a single bit of trouble. He owned a small bicycle shop attached to his property, where he presumably built that bike, as well as at least one other just like it, although that one has been lost to time. But what happened to the first Traub motorcycle? The one that he wrote about in the letter? Well, in 1916, the son of one of Traub's neighbors decided that he just had to have it, so he stole it from Traub. The boy's father couldn't believe his son would do something like that, so as a punishment, he made him sign up to join the army. The young man was shipped overseas and sadly didn't come home. The motorcycle, though, was never returned. The prevailing theory is that just before he was deployed, the son hid the bike so that he could come back to it when he returned from the war, but his parents had no idea what happened to it. Little did they know, it was right under their noses. The family eventually sold their apartment building and moved away. Then, in 1967, the new owners decided to spruce things up with some renovations. They hired a contractor who was tearing down a brick wall when he noticed something behind it, a two-wheeled contraption that looked about 50 years old. The long-lost Troub had been found. Not knowing what they had, the building's owners traded the bike to a Chicago motorcycle dealer for a $700 Suzuki. The dealer restored the trowel back to its original glory, and then 10 years later, he sold it to Hollywood stuntman Bud Ekins. Bud had worked as Steve McQueen's stunt double, and was in Chicago working on a small-budget film called The Blues Brothers. Today, the trowel lives at the Wheels Through Time Museum in North Carolina, where Gottlieb Traub's legacy has been allowed to live on. Surprisingly, it still runs just as well as it did back in 1916. The museum's owner, Dale Waxler, can sometimes even be seen riding around town on it, proving that the old saying is true. They just don't make them like they used to.
0: Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.
2: Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here.
0: Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee.
1: A phrase or a philosophy to send people into a panic. If Area 51, a government site, is off-limits to the public, that must mean that aliens are being kept there. Did we really go to the moon, or was the whole thing done on a soundstage? Spoiler alert, we definitely went to the moon, but there are still people out there to this day who refuse to believe the truth, opting for their own version, where only they really know what's going on. Conspiracy theorists ignore what's on the surface and instead lift up the curtain to see what's underneath, even if there's nothing there. Take Pink Floyd, for example. The Dark Side of the Moon, Wizard of Oz mashup was already well-known by the mid-1990s, and even if the two works didn't line up exactly, there was enough there to propel the novelty from quiet rumor to cultural touchpoint. In 1994, Pink Floyd released their album The Division Bell, right around the same time as the internet was starting to come into its own. Usenet groups were one of the main ways people communicated back then. Similar to today's Reddit forums, Usenet groups were big storehouses of information where people could post anonymously and have discussions on any number of topics. As the band kicked off its Division Bell World Tour, an anonymous user posted a message to the Pink Floyd group, where they believed they discovered a secret message the band had delivered. The person offered to guide listeners to a deeper meaning. Listen. Read. Think. Communicate. These were the words they wrote before signing off under the name Publius. Additional messages from Publius followed, including one that claimed the Division Bell album contained one central meaning, unlike the band's previous albums, which had been open to a variety of interpretations. Even back then, internet audiences were skeptical, and many believed this person to be part of the band or even the record company just trying to drum up interest in the album. But it was the last message that people took farther down the rabbit hole than they'd ever been before. It spoke of a planned communication on Monday, July 18th in East Rutherford, New Jersey. At 10.30pm, white lights would flash. There is an enigma, Publius promised. Trust. Those who had believed in Publius's messages had their faith confirmed as the band performed the song Keep Talking during their July 18th concert. The light display at the front of the stage started flashing and the words Enigma Publius appeared. In fact, the phrase showed up at several performances thereafter, yet the band claimed not to know about any of them. Pink Floyd's lighting director was also thought to have been a co conspirator but according to him, he was just doing what he was told by the band. The phrase popped up again when the band's album, A Momentary Lapse of Reason, was re-released the same year. Sadly, two years later, the service hosting the Usenet where Publius was posting was shut down, although similar posts appeared on other message boards and websites thereafter, making people wonder if either the account had returned, or that the enigma had been solved. In 2002, it seemed as though the puzzle really had been solved by Pink Floyd guitarist David Gilmour. In an interview, he claimed the whole Publius Enigma had been a ploy by the record company to get people talking about the album. And the band's lighting designer, Mark Brickman, confirmed Gilmour's statement, adding even further intrigue to the legend. Apparently, the Publius Enigma was the creation of a Washington, D.C. insider, a former member of the intelligence community who had worked in encryption. Brickman later recanted his statement, though, claiming he regretted saying anything at all. And before he died, the author Douglas Adams weighed in on the whole thing. During a public online chat, someone asked him if the Publius Enigma was real. Adams was reported to have said, It had nothing to do with me. I can't say anything about it. He might have been telling the truth. Or perhaps he'd been sworn to secrecy by a clandestine government agency. Of course, you might be wondering what Douglas Adams, the author of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, had to do with Pink Floyd at all. Well, Adams had given the division bell its title after David Gilmour donated a large sum of money to one of Adams' charities, the Environmental Investigation Agency, which might explain a comment made by Pink Floyd biographer Nick Mason at a book signing. When asked about the Publius Enigma, Mason claimed that a solution would have led to a crop of trees planted in the middle of a clearing. If the Publius Enigma really was a record company invention, Pink Floyd might have created one of the first truly viral internet hoaxes. After all, they were the ones who said, You have to be trusted by the people that lie to you. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey.